Holy Spirit, move through us and through human words. Speak to this, our modern age, our modern metropolis. Remind us that you have been waiting for us since before we woke up this morning to be made new. May we join you in that work. In Christ's name, who is our rock and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. When I was in my 20s, my goal was to get free. To get free from all of the junk of growing up that I felt like was holding me back. I grew up in a small farming town, and I grew up in the closet, and I did not feel free. I felt like if people knew the truth about me, my whole world would fall apart. But in my 20s, I was ready for something new. And so I went to college, and I went to the least religious school in the country and decided to be a religious studies major. I highly recommend it. I fell in love with biblical studies of learning about ancient languages and the culture of the folks who wrote scripture. I also found my people. I found communities of progressive Christians who were living out their faith in all sorts of interesting ways in the United States and abroad, all over the world. I found festivals like Greenbelt and here in the States, Wild Goose, where people came together and shared ideas and did amazing things. And I saw the spirit at work moving and organizing people against oppression within the church and in the larger world for folks like me. In seminary, just up the road in Princeton, I found a group of people that were my friends and had similar life experiences. And we, on weekends, when we wanted to experience something new, we would come to Philadelphia. That's how I fell in love with this town, hanging out in the neighborhood and being a part of a community that I, I had never, ever experienced in my life. But there was something deeper in my work for freedom. I had this internal work, and I had this community that I could live into more fully who I was, but I felt trapped in my relationship with my dad. My dad grew up Presbyterian, and he was raised by people who loved him deeply in the church, but who saw folks like me as a threat to family and to marriage and to children. My dad was part of systems that he didn't always realize that were oppressive to women. When I thought about my dad, even though I was finding freedom for myself, it felt impossible that our relationship would be able to continue if he knew who I was. But something miraculous happened. One way of encountering Jesus' teachings this morning is to see that Jesus is in the business of inviting people into freedom, into grace, beyond what they could imagine. And it's both for those who are oppressors and the oppressed, all of whom who are damaged by systems of sin. Our readings this morning have three types of freedom that come up. The first being the separation of one from another because of privilege. Those who see themselves as better 
and those who are parts of systems of oppression. And Jesus flips the script. Tax collectors are not your friendly or not so friendly IRS agent in this time. No, they can throw you in jail. They can take everything you have. And the only way they make money is by taking just a little bit extra from you. And for people who were Jewish at the time of Jesus, this was seen as a way of oppressing your neighbor to get by rich and to have Roman soldiers protecting you. And Jesus takes that entire view and he flips it on its head with the story of a tax collector who can barely raise their eye to heaven in opposition to a religious leader who can only look down on those around him. The second part of this reading talks about the freedom of the trust of children, an invitation to be childlike, to run into the arms of our Savior and friend, and to not hold back those who see that life and that energy and Jesus. And then thirdly, there is a call for freedom from that which oppresses us and our neighbors, our wealth, but also all kinds of other things that can get in the way, our power and our privilege that can separate us from our neighbors. Jesus' friends say, who can be saved if not even the rich can? Jesus goes on to say, for humans it is impossible, but for God nothing is. And when I think about my dad, I know that to be true. Part of the reason that I'm part of this whole gospel thing, this whole Jesus and church thing, is because I saw my dad be transformed. It was like a camel going through the eye of a needle. I never would have thought it could be, and yet it did. When I came out to my father, he realized. He looked back. He thought of all of the things he had said, the jokes, the ribbings here and there, and he realized that he had hurt me. And so he did the work. He read books, which, if you knew him, was very impressive, because if it wasn't Michael Crichton, he wasn't usually going to pick it up. And I handed him a book on biblical studies, and he had Google open almost the entire time, having to look up words that he didn't know, but he did it. He listened to lectures. He went to Bible studies. He talked with his pastor. He made an effort to see how he had hurt me. And then he did something even more beautiful and unexpected. I was getting ready to graduate from seminary. It was exciting. And my dad wanted to give me a gift. And it is, to this day, the kindest and most surprising thing he's ever gifted me with. He asked if it would be okay, which is important. He asked if it would be okay if he could reach out to my extended family one by one and, with my permission, come out to them for me. He would answer their questions. He would have arguments about the Bible if that's what they needed. But he didn't want me to be anxious, to have that fear of losing extended family. And he thought he might be able to have some conversations with them that I probably couldn't. It was beyond gracious. 
It transformed my experience of my father, and it gave me new insight into what God is up to in our world. I saw a grace and love within my dad that I had only prayed was there, but seldom saw. In June of 2021, Eric and I, along with my mother, my dad's ex-wife, discovered that my dad had unexpectedly died. Within two weeks, we cleaned out his apartment and we cared for his body, and we held a memorial service on Zoom. We prepared for his unique and beautiful funeral that involved a Viking ship with his ashes going up in flames in Maine. Our family's pastors loved us so well through that time. My friend and mentor, Ken, who was also my parents' pastor, he spoke about seeing my dad's transformation. But he also shared something that I didn't know about my dad's struggles for freedom himself that I never knew. I knew that my father was an alcoholic and someone who struggled with binge eating, but I never really put the pieces together of where that emptiness came that he was trying to fill. Ken talked about the challenges that my dad had had with his parents, about how they were very good at being proud when things were going well, but when he was struggling, their love and encouragement dried up. He was always worried that he wasn't good enough. And at his memorial service, Ken shared that this had had an impact on my dad in ways throughout his life, but especially when they celebrated the Lord's Supper at church. My dad would come forward every time. He was at church more than I'm at church, actually, and which is impressive because it's my job. He was there all the time, and when he would come up to take part in the Lord's Supper, he would put his hand out to rip off a piece of bread. We would say, rip off a piece of bread as large as you need God's grace for you to be this day. And he would go to rip off that piece of bread, and he would sort of turn away as if he was afraid or in the presence of something that he wasn't worthy of. And yet he would come every time and he would rip off a piece of bread. And I like to think that it was a big old chunk. He had this fear, this shame that he wasn't lovable. And that being in the presence of Jesus in that way was almost unbearable. This morning's reading, I can see Jesus working to get us free, but I also see my dad. I see those of us who know oppression in our bodies and those of us who find that we are parts of systems that are hurting those we love and those of us who are wondering, can God get a camel through the eye of a needle for me? But I saw it with my dad where he was transformed and passed through doorways that he never thought he would be going through. And it gives me hope. So maybe you're like me. Maybe you're someone like me who looks around our world and realizes that the work for freedom from oppression is never-ending, it seems. May church be a place where you can find your people to do the work that you need to do for yourself.
and for your people. Or maybe you're like my dad, with privilege and power that you're being called to deploy, to be bound to your neighbors, to give something away graciously, and join this beautiful ragtag group of friends. But for all of us, there's an invitation to come and experience just how much you are loved, even if you can't believe it. A love and grace beyond measure, with no preconditions, that doesn't care how your bank account is doing, or your 401k, or your investments. It doesn't care how much money you've given away. A grace, though, that is calling you into a wideness and a depth of love that can seem almost unbearable and impossible. But you're invited, like children, like children held by their parents, loved without preconditions, a child held in mother's arms. So friends, in this place and in our lives, may grace abound, and may we find ourselves at home, here at this table. Amen. Friends, this summer we are taking time after our sermons to reflect on a question in silence, and there are cards in baskets at the end of your pews. You're invited, if you would like, to write down some thoughts about the question that I will share here in a moment. And if you would like, you can put that into our offering plate when it is passed, or you can take your reflections home with you. So our question for reflection this morning is why do you have hope that God is at work in our world?